Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the First in Orange podcast. It's Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman, joined as usual by my colleague Ryan O'Halloran. We've got a packed show for you here today as the Broncos coming off that week one loss to the Titans and looking ahead to week two first road showdown in Pittsburgh at a fan-free Heinz Field. So we're going to be talking injuries, looking at that loss to the Titans, a gut punch as it were. Uh, how will Jerry Judy respond to the drops in his NFL debut? Looking at the cornerback situation minus A.J. Bouye, we'll give you an update on his injury here in a moment. And also talking Royce Freeman, Drew Locke, and the biggest concerns facing Vic Fangio and co. in Pittsburgh. So, Ryan, we'll start off with the injury update, and it just the hits keep coming for the Denver Broncos after losing Vaughn Miller for what might be the year to a fluke ankle injury before the first game. Now they got to deal with some injuries from that first game, and most notably, A.J. Bouye, his shoulder, uh, he's headed to IR. He's going to miss at least three games. And then running back Philip Lindsay, he's got the toe injury, missed the second half against the Titans. So that's problematic as well, in addition to Cortland Sutton, who missed week one due to a shoulder injury. So teed you up on a lot there, Ryan. Uh, three critical injuries in addition to the Vaughn injury for these Broncos. Kyle, it's good to join you. Let's start with the injury. Let's start with good news. Uh, you know, Wednesday, as we're taping this, Cortland Sutton, six days after his injury, did limited work in practice. He was running around a little bit when we were out there. K.J. Hamler, hamstring was out week one. He was a full participant for the first time since he got injured more than a month ago, so that's a good sign. And then Bradley Chubb coming off that first game in nearly a year, played nearly 60 snaps. Uh, He was full goal in practice today. That's the good news. Now we get to the bad news, which you led into. Uh, AJ headed IR, and it's important to remember that this year you can have unlimited returns from IR after, but it has to be a minimum of three weeks. So you're looking at uh, you know not having AJ back until New England in Week Five. And then Philip Lindsay went that turf toe. I mean, I'm not an athlete, but I've heard athletes talk about turf toes, and it is excruciating because all that weight on your foot is planted on that big toe, the big toe captain as Seinfeld like to say. So, um, you know, uh, my guess is that they may keep him out this week. But uh, so, you know, more injuries, but, you know, uh, and in some respects, the worm is starting to turn a more positive direction. And looking back at that game where Lindsay was injured, obviously he missed the second half. As you mentioned, Bouya, he missed the second half, and Broncos secondary had to adjust there. We'll get to that in a moment. But to the much controversial ending where Vic Fangio went home with two timeouts in his pocket, didn't call one till way too late, and he admitted that as much uh, here on Tuesday, yesterday, Ryan. That's the storyline coming out of that game. It wasn't about the other stuff. It, you know, It's barely about the loss, which it's about how they lost. And, you know, maybe getting a little inside baseball here, but you know, as the Titans are moving across midfield, my, my head is basically in my computer trying to rewrite the game story for the paper because I had one ready for a win, I had to get one ready for a loss. And what struck me is I would look up and the Titans kept on running plays. I'm thinking, okay, where's my timeout so I could write a couple paragraphs here? It never came. Well, after the game, I asked Vic, I said, you regret not using a timeout there? He said, no. And what reading between Vic's words, my, my thing was, he didn't call timeout because he thought the kicker was going to miss field goal. You can't count on that. Even though he'd been terrible throughout the game with three missed field goals and an extra point botched. You yeah, know? Ryan. I mean, counting on a future Hall of Fame kicker to miss his fourth field goal in the night 
is not exactly much of a bold strategy, or should yeah. I say it's a too bold strategy. In that same bank comp, he was due to make one. Right. And he did. So, and they were getting so close. And not, you know, not only did he not call a time, he didn't call any timeouts. It's not like he waited too late. Um, he should have, uh, you know, called one, at least two. Save, save one in your pocket if you get in the field goal range. That's, you know, to me, that's that's the, the clock management one-on-one. All right, let's spin it to Tuesday. Asked about it again. He says, hey, I should have called a timeout after Henry's run. That was at the 128 mark. He is correct in pointing out that the clock stopped two more times after that during that drive because of a run out of bounds and an incomplete pass. So let's, you know, let's meet, let's, uh, I don't want to say beat them in the middle, but let's say he had a minute left to play with and, and one timeout. That opens up the entire field for Drew Locke to get maybe two or three completions, call the timeout, get the field goal team on the field, and win the game. Whereas I thought Dick may have exasperated the situation yesterday on Tuesday was, he said he was focused so much on calling the defensive plays that he missed the, the timeout decision. It's inexcusable. And you're the head coach. you got to be on top of that. More importantly, you got to have people you trust on top of that who are not afraid to get in your headset and, said, and say, Dick, call a you-know-what timeout. This is what the analytics said. So I think it was a total system failure, but losing a lead like that is emblematic, I'll use that word again, of the Fangio regime. They blew a lot of games last year, and they blew this one, when he wanted to rely on his defense, and his defense didn't deliver. Yeah, and his defense had really played well all day long, but again, counting on your defense for another stop, and to get them not just to get a stop, but to not get a field goal. And, you know, Titans drove down. And as you mentioned, Kostowski was due. He knocked that chip shot home and the rest was history as Drew Locke really had no time left to play with. And we'll look at one more thing from that loss on Monday Night Football to the Titans before we're looking ahead here to week two. And that's how rookie Jerry Judy is going to respond to those drops. Now, he had one the first half, and then he had a critical one in the second half on the Broncos' final drive. And, hey, Vic Fangio took a lot of heat, as did Jerry Judy, because this, this catch that Judy hit off his hands on a quick post, he was in stride. He, you know, he would have been well into field goal range for Brandon McManus. Could have been at least 17-13 after that if Broncos get in field goal range and make that. Uh, Judy caught a lot of flack for that, and, and rightfully so, and and he owned up to that on, on Wednesday and saying, hey, those two drops is what is what I'm going to remember 20 years from now about my NFL de- debut, but also saying that's going to motivate me and, and, and make me even better going forward, saying, hey, two drops is going to lead to no drops maybe the rest of the season. Well, that would be interesting if he had no more drops the rest of the season. Uh, I would applaud him if he had no more drops. He, he like, you know, half he, guaranteed that, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't, like, super bold, but he said that. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and what I did what I did like about Jerry uh, before practice on Wednesday is he basically pointed out what everybody saw. He says, I tried to run before I catch it. And that's a concentration issue. That's a physical issue. Should have done it. And, you know, that catch would have helped. I think that catch would have helped seal the game because it would a first down would get you to field range. Right. But there's a lot of other ifs. You know, Drew Locke missing Deshaun Hamilton. We'll get to Locke a little bit later. But uh, you know, there are you know, when you give up 16 points at home, you should win the game. But this is an offense. In the last five years is not really equipped to reaching 20. So if they they need this to string more drives together and, and sort of take the game out of their defense's hands. 
Again, folks, first in Orange podcast, Ryan O'Halloran, Kyle Newman breaking down the Broncos season opener against the Titans, a loss with way too many shades similar to last season and some of the games they blew, especially early on en route to an 0-4 start. And of course, Vic Fangio doesn't want that this year. He doesn't want an 0-2 start, but a tall task now going to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers, to face Ben Roethlisberger and co. And they're going to do it. Without A.J. Boya, as we mentioned, he'll be headed to IR with that shoulder injury suffered in week one. And the quarterback situation, which we spent so much time talking about last season uh, with Bryce Callahan out, is now evolving again here already for the Broncos as they had a couple rookies in there on Monday. And that'll expect to continue here in week two with A.J. out. Yeah, Michael Jamudier was the number three going into week one. He's now the number two. And St. Bassey was sort of their emergency dive guy. He's now your number three. I thought Jamudier was very good. He should have had that interception. It was negated by a stupid A.J. Johnson penalty. Not Bassey. They went after Bassey a couple times. But it looked like both rookies, when they did give up a completion, they made the tackle. They did not allow a lot of yards after the catch. Ojemudie had a you know a 16-yard pass interference call on that Titans winning drive. What's interesting to me is how does Vic Fangio use the corners now? Does he still like Bryce Callahan as his number one guy over a slot receiver in nickel situations, or does he put Bassey in there? Um, I, I would probably want to put Callahan back still inside because that's what he does best, and he can probably play a little more zone with some safety help for Bassey and Ojemudie on the outside. So. You know, this is, uh, as you mentioned, you know, last year corner was an issue. Corner depth, excuse me, was an issue behind Chris Harris. You know, they go get uh, they go get Boye, number one corner. He gets hurt first half of the first game. So, you know, unlucky. But, in, you know, if you're a, a cynical Bronco fan, you're saying, okay, if he's going to miss three games, what's their record going to be when he gets back? Because I mean, it may not be very good, but it's a hell of an opportunity for these rookies and you know, another guy who's going to get an opportunity most likely on Sunday is Royce Freeman. If Philip Lindsay can't go, it's Melvin Gordon and Royce Freeman. Um, you talked to Royce. You're writing about him in Thursday's Denver Post. What were some of his thoughts? Yeah, I asked him just about, you know, the opportunity going forward here with Philip Lindsay potentially out this Sunday with that foot injury. And then I talked to him about just the situation that he came into, obviously, Ryan, because, you know, in the offseason, Philip Lindsay said some things about the Melvin Gordon signing because obviously that affected him. Well, it made Royce Freeman even the more odd man out as uh, really kind of put his his roster status in in question heading into camp. They also added undrafted rookie Levante Bellamy, uh, second-year pro Jeremy Cox. Now, Freeman rose above those two guys. Those two guys have since been sent to the practice squad. But uh, he's he's got an opening here, and he knows that. But he he's also just trying to control what he can control. And uh, we saw in week one, he came in, he had one rush, he had a reception for 12 yards, almost got into the end zone. So Fangio, Drew Locke, and Freeman himself, they expect the running game to operate just the same, even if Lindsey can't go and Royce will be in there. Yeah, and, and one thing where Freeman has really developed and developed himself is, is on third down. He didn't have to catch a lot of passes at Oregon. He was a workhorse running back. But you know, if Lindsay's inactive against Pittsburgh, you know, I would say Royce takes most of the third down work because he can pass protect. He can catch it out of the backfield, and that that leaves Melvin Gordon for first down, second down, and some select third downs as well. So, you know, you know, going into camp, I got a lot of questions. Why don't they cut Royce Freeman? You know, he hasn't done much. Well, this is why. A, he doesn't cost any money. He's still on his rookie deal for a, for a mid round pick. 
And B, Lindsey and Gordon both have a history of minor injuries. And the first one has cropped up. So, you know, running back depth, especially at a low cost, is, is a very important thing to have. So that's why this is a, a big chance for Freeman. You know, third year of his four-year rookie deal, if you're Royce, you're saying, okay, I'm going to put some good stuff on tape here because if it doesn't work out here in the future, somebody's going to want me. Again, folks, first in Orange Podcast, a couple more topics left to discuss on the show. Before we give a preview of the Pittsburgh game, we're going to be talking Drew Locke, and he addressed the media today. And one hot topic that came up a couple different times was the deep balls. And he was saying, hey, it's just like out on the golf course, you spray a couple slices. Well, you had a few of those. Uh, in the game against the Titans. And as you mentioned, Ryan, uh, one one deep ball in particularly late that would have iced the game that he overthrew. So Locke admitting he's got to be more honed in. He said that as much after the game, reiterated it again on Wednesday. And especially with those shots down the field, granted he did not have Cortland Sutton, who's so apt to go up and just grab the ball out of the sky, but he's got to be uh, more consistent, especially in those, those big gimme plays as he called them. Cause you know, throwing one-on-one coverage down the field, that's a matchup he likes. Yeah. And I was just going to uh, relay that quote too. I thought it was great insight from a young player. I'd never heard it used that way saying, Hey, you got to make the, you got to make the easy plays and take an easy plays at deep ball one-on-one coverage. Uh I found that very interesting. He was 0 of 5 on passes that traveled at least 16 yards downfield, according to my charting. 35 yards, 40 yards, 26 yards, 42 yards, 32 yards. You know, the big one was the Hamilton. That should have been a 42-yard touchdown. He had Judy, I thought, on a corner route. He underthrew him, should have been intercepted. Uh, And then Judy's two drops were on shorter throws. But I think um, with Drew Locke, every experience, good or bad, is going to be what he can learn from and improve from. And I think uh, he looks at some of those deep balls and say, hey, how is my footwork? How are my mechanics? Should I have thrown it earlier? You know, go over the whole gamut. And I think uh, it's a heck of a challenge for Locke. I mean, he's going to be no crowd noise at Heinz Field on Sunday, but he's going against a defense that really caused a lot of problems for the Giants. So entering week two, obviously Broncos do not want to start in an 0-2 hole. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, tall task here in these Steelers who have been perennially good under coach Mike Tomlin. Now starting tailback James Conner, he sprained his ankle uh, last week in the first Monday night game against New York, but they do have a capable backup in Benny Snell. Also, of course, Roethlisberger back after elbow surgery limited him to two games last year. They got Juju Smith-Schuster, one of the top vertical threats in the game. So uh, a lot to consider there. And then, hey, Steelers have one of the best run defenses in the league. They stuffed Saquon Barkley on Monday, six yards on 15 carries. A big challenge for these Broncos, but like you said, it'll be good that uh, Drew Locke doesn't have to deal with that typical road environment. Yeah, and you know the Barkley stats jumped out. I mean, this is I mean, this is a superstar player. Fifteen carries for six yards. Six yards. That equates to an average per carry about a foot, point four yards. And his long was seven. So he had he, his other fourteen carries went for minus one yard. So you know, if I'm the Steelers, I'm loading up the box for Melvin Gordon and Royce Freeman, and I'm going to say Drew Locke. We're going to have man coverage on the outside, see what you can do. We're going to have Minka Fitzpatrick patrol in the middle of the field at safety. You let the, you let the league in takeaways last year with eight. So, you know, this is a Steeler team that hasn't made the playoffs the last couple of years. They get Roethlisberger back. James Conner goes out in the first quarter of the Giant game. Benny Snell comes in, goes 19 for 113. So they obviously got depth there. But one thing that the Broncos should be able to exploit is when Pittsburgh has the ball, their offensive line is really banged up. 
They lost their right tackle with an ACL. The Castro, their right guard, did not play last week. Uh, his fill in Stefan Wisniewski, he got hurt against the Giants. So, you know, if there's ways for this defensive front for the Broncos, which get, you know, didn't do too bad against the run against Derrick Henry, uh, that would be their advantage. You know, and also create a little bit more pass rush mojo. And the last thing about this game is, I'm interested to see what Bradley Chubb does. He had a, he had a relatively quiet night against the Titans. No tackles, a couple pressures. But I get through the game in one piece and being a full practice participant on Wednesday. This is when you'll see number 55, I think, really pick up pick up steam and become the player he was two years ago. Yeah, some good signs there after Chubb played 73% of the defensive snaps in week one. So something to keep an eye on. And offensively, Ryan, I'm keeping an eye on Noah Fant. Exploded to tie a career high with five catches in the first half against the Titans, but then went relatively quiet. Broncos have got to keep him involved all game long because he's obviously a threat and will continue to be a threat as he escalates and, and becomes one of the NFL's premier tight ends, at least that's his goal. And then also Cortland Sutton, is he going to play? Is he not? He's limited today in practice Wednesday. So if he's back and playing for the first time this season, that'll be also a big boost to Drew Locke. And you make it hammer back. He was full right. today, as we had mentioned earlier. Let's see how they work him in. Fant is interesting because tight ends, you know, you see tight ends have big first halves, and then the defense adjusts. They put a different guy on him. They maybe put a safety on him instead of a linebacker. But the, the thing you've seen from tight ends is with the receivers, you can throw every route. The whole tree's open to them because they're just faster, smaller players. With a tight end thing, okay, do you throw an fan a tight end screen? Um, how do you get him involved? How do you get him open if, other, if better players are covering him in the first half? So I think that's one of the challenges for the Broncos coaches this week is say, hey, if you like the matchup of that, try and recreate that matchup throughout the entire game. First in Orange Podcast, that's Ryan O'Halloran. This is Kyle Newman. Appreciate you listening in to today's show. Be sure to head to denverpost.com slash Broncos for continued coverage of the team through week two and the rest of the regular season. Appreciate listening in once again. And until next time, folks, take it easy.